She was low, plain low in the morning, standing four feet ten in one sock. She was Lola in slacks. She was Dolly at school. She was Dolores on the dotted line. But in my arms, she was always Lolita. Light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin, my soul. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Floppy Bombs. I'm your host, Zakari Westbrook. And Arian. Oh, you're not going to do the fancy last name thing this time? That movie just killed me. I have nothing left. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's true. It's true. That was... Oh, that was rough. That was rough. All right. today, Today we are reviewing, and you probably already know exactly where this review is going. We are reviewing 1997's Lolita. Ooh, that was that was a rough one. That was a rough one. Um, so yeah, uh, Lolita, of course, uh, adapted from the Vladimir Nobokov novel. Um, now I had to read that in college. Uh, Ariane did not, um, but I didn't actually read the whole thing because I really hate modernist literature. At a certain point, I was like, okay, nothing else that happens in this book is going to be on the test, so I stopped reading. (laughs) Oops. Um, And then he got the pleasure of knowing the ending today. Yeah. You know what? I think I made the right decision in college. (laughs) I think if we had stopped the movie where I stopped reading the book, we would have felt better about about life. (laughs) Oh, good gracious. Okay. Movie-wise. So yeah, this, back to the movie. The study of uh, background props, it was it was flawless. It was a flawless adaptation of what life was in the states at that time. Mm-hmm. With up to the car details, the tools they used in the house, the clothing they used, they studied every single detail and kept it. It was beautiful. Yeah, as a period piece, it is. Um, it's a monument to what you can do and then not just and yeah not just in yeah yeah the music as well is fantastic the one kind of anachronism that was kind of glaring to me was um jeremy irons's hair uh he had a very 1990s style of haircut ah yeah but yeah, so for those who are not familiar with Vladimir Nobokov's novel, um, it's essentially a book about... A pedophile. Yes. Um, and why pedophilia is a bad thing. Because when the book was written in like the 1950s... Um, it was not a thing? It wasn't a well-known thing that this, was, that this existed. Um, so nobody really cared much. Well, the other thing is, you, I mean, you rewind you know, Western history to the 19th century. And the idea of 13 and 14 year old girls getting married is not weird at was that not time. Cons- yeah. That was, that was happening in the United States. That was happening in Canada. That was happening in Europe. Even worse. Well, Asia. it was even young, younger in Asia. Yeah. So, and, and that was like their grandparents, you know, that was, that was our great, great grandparents. So for Nobokov's original audience, I mean, it was a new idea. I don't know how new, and I don't know exactly how people felt about it. But that book was just in your face. Like, just in case you didn't think about it, that's bad. Well, and that's that's the thing is, modern groups like, uh, do you know Nambla? Mm-mm. 
Okay. For anybody, if you happen to be watching, listening to this with um, sensitive ears or trigger warnings and you don't know what NAMBLA is, just go ahead and skip forward a minute while I explain this. NAMBLA stands for North American Man-Boy Love Association, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It is a political action group that is trying to uh, decriminalize uh, sexual relations between adult men and underage boys. Eek? More than a little. Yeah. Like, like eek? Why? Because they're pedophiles and they don't want to go to prison. Ah, it makes all sense. It makes it all right. And so, yeah, with with Nobokov's audience, you know, this idea of like pedophilia was, again, I'm not sure it would have been sort of a novel idea. Plus, again, we're talking um, like the 1950s, 1960s. So psychology was this very trendy sort of new thing that people were getting into. This book was written from the head, like the perspective of that. Exactly. It's a first-person narrative, and so it was, at the time, kind of seems like this study in the mind of this particular type of deviant. It's held up as one of like the great examples of what literature people call a unreliable narrator. So, Because you don't really know if it's true what he's telling you. Exactly. A lot of stuff in the story, you're not really sure if it's true because you feel like something's missing. Right. And so one of the things that we see in the movie that's a big part of the book is that Lolita, who's supposed to be a 12, 13, 14 year old girl, is she's really flirtatious and she's very physical with him. There's a part early on in the movie where she like they're on the porch swing. Uh, Her mother, Humbert, our uh, resident pedophiliac. Um, pedophile. I don't know why I said pedophiliac. Pedophile. Um, he and then, loves pedophiles. <laughs> I think pedophilic might be an old term. I don't know where I heard that. Anyway, so then like Lolita goes like running into the house when there's a phone call. Then she turns on the radio and she starts dancing to it. And she's calling for Humbert to look at her. So um, yeah, things like that. The sorts of things were like, we're not entirely sure if this is all in Humbert's head or if this is something that she's really doing. Mm. And this is my number one complaint with the movie. Um, and there's going to be a lot of complaints. So it's very serious that this is number one. So let's note number one. Yeah, number one. My number one complaint. The You do not get a sense of this being an unreliable narrator in the film. Ah, you're right. Like the way the film is shot, the way, I mean, you want to go with the story. There is a voiceover, which makes it seem like, like, yeah, like this is Humbert telling the story. But again, the, the cinematography, all of that doesn't really give you a sense of this, of him being unreliable. Like telling lies to himself and making himself believe it and bringing us in that, on that trip. Exactly. We don't. We never really get that feeling in the movie. That this is the 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 subject of everything that you studied when you had to read that book. It was about that a lot. That was the main one. Yeah, yeah. The whole unreliable narrator thing was a huge part of what we discussed in class. And unreliable narrator is what makes Lolita a really a victim. Because, because we never have a point of view. She's always yeah. she always appears as she's the one who wants it, but really, mm-hmm. really is she. She's 12 year old. Yeah. And in the movie, we see her being like a little bit fickle. 
she's the sexual aggressor and then she'll be like spurning him and crying later on so like oh, okay she's just not making up her mind something like that but um, they're making her into a wimp like a, an annoying oh sorry uh they're making her into an annoying child bratty child but mm-hmm. really that's what he sees but after what he does to her it would be normal that she she's kind of going nuts exactly um actually what you just said reminded me of um i think it was i think it was jack kerouac uh who was asked by somebody like why weren't there any women in the beat movement uh you know the beat movement nope. okay beat movement uh 1960s jack kerouac um and uh alan ginsburg uh were kind of the, the fathers of this it was kind of going hand in hand with the hippie movement but it was a more um urbane educated sophisticated sort of rebel movement that had a lot of the same values as the hippie movement but was much more like artistic in a classical sense mm-hmm. um but anyway it was it was a huge had a huge effect on like american poetry in the last half of the 20th century and a few other things um jack kerouac um and allen ginsburg of course being you know incredibly famous writers but anyways, I believe it was Jack Kerouac who was once asked, like, why weren't there any women in the movement? Because, you know, all of the famous beat writers are men. Uh, most of the stories have a very kind of, especially like Jack Kerouac's On the Road, has this very masculine sort of bent to it. And so it's like, yeah, where, where are the women's? And um, Kerouac told the person who asked him this, like, the women were th- the women were there, but they kept getting put in hospitals. Because women could not be doing that. They were not allowed to have opinions like that. Well, and it's like their parents were, get, were sending them to get shock therapy, according to him. Oh, so we've got these boys who are like, you know, heading out to the open road and seeing the country and having these revolutionary ideas. Like, oh, OK, well, I mean, that's that's just, you know, boys will be boys. Young men do that. But like when young women start getting these kinds of ideas, it's like it's electroshock therapy time. But again, it's another example of that the way that we that in this case men in particular misinterpret or interpret women's the way behavior they want differently from exactly. what the standards are for men yeah and it to to fit this narrative that flatters them um mm-hmm. that's very heavy in the book but i just did not feel that in the movie and that bothered me a lot cuz the like it seem we don't really get a sense of what she really went through it seems like it you can like no you can't forget i was about to say you can kind of forget that this is disgusting but no you don't really it's it, uh, yeah i don't know how to phrase this it's, it's just it feels like she's a like he, they made her into a brat to make sure that we see her as a child and not that mm-hmm. two lovers but we don't really see how tortured this probably makes her we only see her splurt of getting angry at times but we don't see it like evolve like growing into this right she seems like just silly yeah the movie is an incredibly faithful adaptation of the book um so many there's so many of these shots that are these like stray details like there's a woman on a porch who's like waving at at, near the beginning of the movie and again like that's something from the book and when you're looking at it as just like a movie you're like why are we including this detail yeah it's useless but it is it's something that gets mentioned from the book it's some texture from there so i guess the cows at the end yeah <laughs> yeah the cows are a thing uh i i don't actually know i didn't read that far mm-hmm. that's <laughs> why i said that's why end. i said i guess <laughs> uh but yeah so that's that's my big beef that um lolita we don't get the sense that this is an unreliable narrator 
Um, we don't distrust Humbert. We don't distrust what we're seeing enough. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Second, sec, second bad point. Second, second in order. I wouldn't. Well, well wait, what's we, your number one? <laughs> my number one is this movie's going in forty-five million direction of disgusting. Like it's it's you go in disgusting, scary with like uh, like you go in like Harry Potter land with like magic, and then after you have like flashbacks when he has like it's like it's like five. Five movies in one, and and it's just gross all the time. Okay, where's the Harry Potter land? I well, didn't, well, I didn't pick up on a Harry we, Potter vibe. When we saw the guy with the 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 writer guy who just oh, went the- smoking, and then when he meets him, like like the the like the flies just explode and like blue magical oh, random. Yes. Okay. Like that porch scene. Yes. That's like random. Like I I would see like um how did they call them. Uh, it was a bug zapper. No, no, no. And, no? and like, how did they call them in Harry Potter? Like, witches that would turn into animals. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, what did they call those in Harry Potter? I am, I am not a big enough Harry Potter fan to be able to answer that question. Okay. Anyway. Skinwalkers? No, no, no. I know that's something, that's Native something, American. Something. Okay, yeah. So what she's talking about? This guy, he's a professor. He falls in love with this uh, child, this twelve-year-old girl. Um, then he ends up marrying her mother. Well, we can start with the beginning, beginning. He blames everything on the fact that he fell in love when he was very young and she mm-hmm. died. Like, a little... Yeah, she has a typhus. And then he, the he blames all his behavior on that fact, saying that he stayed on this and never recovered. Right. And then when he sees that girl, he just pre-pictures, like, the youth that he missed there, anyway. Yeah. He, I mean, he says, um, and this is, there's a lot more of this in the book. Because, um, like, one thing that they cut completely out of the movie uh, that was in the book is that before he meets Mrs. Hayes, um, Lolita's mother, he regularly visits this uh, prostitute who he thinks is about 16 years old, but he pretends she's younger. They, they really dialed down how creepy he is in the movie. Yeah, he's a- he re- they really dialed it down, and that that bothers me. Dialing down, like downplaying how creepy pedophilia is, is just super not okay in my book. Well, then when you write your book about pedophilia, (laughs) please include that. Oh, no, 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 no. He he blames it all on this childhood trauma, but which again, in an unreliable narrator kind of way, is like, sure, of course he's going to have some kind of justification for it. So he marries this widow. Um, so Lolita's that he mother. can be closer to the child. Because he wants to stay close to Lolita. And then... She dies? We don't know he, if he killed her or if she died of an accident, but yeah. after finding out. Yeah, so she finds out that he doesn't really love her uh, by reading his diary. And so then she goes running out of the house, gets hit by a car. So yeah, so after the mother dies... Uh, Takes the child, Humber- goes on road trips. Uh, yeah, they go on a little trips. road trip. And they're stopping at this hotel. And he goes out onto the porch to get some air. And there's this dude in like a white suit. And they have this old-timey bug zapper that keeps like getting the bugs. Making it creepy. Well, and then like there's all of these like flashes of like lightning. And they start doing a whole bunch of Dutch angles for just no reason. Cut. cut yeah, cut, rapid cut, edits. Cut. Like, like the tilted camera, it suddenly turns into this really, like... Aggressive... Thriller. 
And then it becomes normal again. Yep. And then in the bathroom, he goes in and then as soon as he closes the door, it opens and he's in his pajamas. Like It's like a comedy cut. And then later on, what was it? The Nightmare with people wearing animation masks of like police like Dick Tracy. And then what was the other one? Well, the end scene, the whole end scene of the naked dude playing piano before he dies with blood everywhere. And I mean, I can't even like whatever I say, there's no way of explaining it. Like it sounds better than what it is. (laughs) It's completely ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, they settle down briefly. She starts going to a school. While she's at the school, unbeknownst to Humbert, um, she starts a relationship with another adult man, um, and then she ends up uh, escaping Humbert and running away with this other guy, um, Quiltley. Yeah, who Claire wants Quiltley. Her to do? He wanted her to do porn. porn. He wanted her to do porn, and she refused. So he kicked her out. So he kicked her out. Uh, so then um, Humbert goes to his mansion. And he, he pulls a gun on the dude, and the dude's, like, freaking out. At one, po- at one point, he starts eating a cigarette, which was just yeah. bizarre. And he wanted to light there. a cigarette, and then he said, we need fire. And then like, the other was matches? like, and then was, as he saw no. that he was not going to get matches, he was like, okay, I'm just going to eat my cigarette. <laughs> just, it's just no. chewing on It's like, what is happening here? <gasps> and then he gets up, and he starts running, because, you know... Jeremy Irons just pulled a gun on him. Um, but and in then, a very dramatic way. Like, yes. I'm running with my my arms on each side with my naked buddy of an old man. And I run to the piano, get shot. And- yeah, there, there's full frontal male nudity in the movie, just in case you were wondering. Yep. And then, yeah, he sits at this piano and he just starts playing. Like, crazy, like- too. Like, as in, how can you play this well when you're traumatized? But... It's a player piano. He was just sitting and pretending to play. That's even worse than being able to play. As he's being chased by Jeremy Irons with a gun. And then he gets shot. It doesn't end. He gets shot. And then he keeps running. And then he goes to his bed and pulls his his cover and then stares at the guy and says, go home. And then he shoots him again. I don't mind weirdness in a movie. Like... If the whole movie is weird. Exactly. Like, I love David Lynch. David Lynch movies are a lot of fun. Have you seen any David Lynch? Okay. David Lynch movies, for those who don't know, are just nonstop bizarro fests. That's fine. Not when you're trying to make it normal and then you have this ridiculous whatever. Yeah. And I think that might have been the director's attempt at establishing the unreliable narrator thing to occasionally have these emotional scenes where, like... Like, the tone completely changes, and the style of cinematography completely changes, and the style of lighting completely changes, and the style of acting completely changes, but it doesn't come off that way. It just... The whole movie is a big three hours of awkward. It is super awkward. It just, it does not feel natural. It doesn't feel planned. It feels like the director was... Really, it felt a lot like he was cribbing from, like four or five other directors Mm -hmm. and he couldn't blend them into a single style the actor though are really good oh yeah oh of course jeremy irons like even the child the kid Mm -hmm. she's she's really good yeah like the i don't know what they can do after what she oh yeah we don't know what she did after that but Uh, we didn't look up the actress but yeah, you said she was... Uh... No, that was Melanie Griffith. That's ah. the mother. So yeah, so let's go over the cast a little bit here. So uh, Humbert, the pedophile professor, is played by Jeremy Irons of Lion King fame, um, the voice of Scar. 
Yeah. I did not know that. I yeah, did not yeah. realize you should have told me. I would have tried to listen and real. <laughs> me? Yes. Oh, geez. That's funny. Yep. Um, and then the Lolita's mother is played by Melanie Griffith. She, I think, was very poorly cast in this movie because... She could have been there for longer. Well, yeah. But the thing is, the so much of the dialogue of the movie is pulled straight out of the book. Um, there's a voiceover that is straight out of the book. Most of the dialogue is straight out of the book. And it has a very... 1940s vibe to it like the way they talk is very very it's the kind of dialogue that if you watch old movies you're used to hearing in a kind of atlantic accent um and she didn't do that she didn't do that and the delivery of those like 1940s ish lines where they're using words and syntax that we just don't use anymore it doesn't sound natural coming out of melanie griffith Mm -hmm. I was hoping I wouldn't have to, but I think I've got to go all the way back to New York. Oh, I'm afraid you're not too favorably impressed. No, it's... Uh, there's a Baudelaire This conference. is not a neat household, I confess, but I assure you, you would be very comfortable here. Very comfortable indeed. It's... Now, don't say no until you've seen the piazza. Mm. She just... She can't quite sell it. Ah, well. Um, but yeah, so then the actress who played Lolita in this particular version was Dominique Swain. Oh, okay. She was in Face Off. I knew she looked familiar. So you know Face Off, Nicolas Cage, John Travolta. uh, One's a terrorist, one's a cop, and they switch faces. That's funny. They get plastic. They get surgery, and they trade. No, no, it it actually happens. They have a. So the terrorist guy is in a coma, and the detective has plastic surgery where they remove the terrorists, they remove their faces and they switch them so that the the cop can go undercover as the terrorists and find out where this big bomb is in Los Angeles. It's completely ridiculous. Uh, it's a John it Wayne movie. Be. It's 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 a fantastic action film. I mean, if you're just looking for like an action film where John Travolta just Travolta's the hell out of the role, um, and Nicolas Cage seems downplayed by comparison, it is it is a lot of fun. And yes, Dominique Swain plays the daughter in that one. And yeah, well, she's a daughter daughter. Yeah, she did that actually the same year as Lolita, and that's why I recognized her. Uh-huh. Um. I'm looking at her... Uh, Did she do other ones? She's done a lot of movies since then, but nothing I have heard of. Half of these don't even have an IMDb... Or have a Wikipedia page. Uh, Nazis at the Center of the Earth. That's a cool-sounding name. <laughs> From 2012. Uh, Blue Dream, Rock Story, Fatal Instinct, The Sixth Friend, Boudoir. It's a short film. Uh, Six Ways to Sundown, Widows, Spreading Darkness, The Lost Girls. That's a lot of movies. These are like the last two years. Like none of those movies have like a page. So she was just, she was just busy. She's been busy doing a lot of movies that nobody watched. The end. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Which is kind of sad because yeah, she really did a good job. Um, She was really, really good in this. I don't know what happened. So what's your rating for this movie? Oh, oh, we have to talk about ratings? Oh, gracious. I don't want to talk about a rating. Um, I will go for three jail s- lifetime jail sentences for the three <laughs> hours of the movie. Uh, it was only two and a half, actually. It it's was like three. <laughs> <laughs> you just jumped on my back. 
Yes. So yeah, before we wrap up here, I want to go back and talk a little more, a little more about the 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 uh, different movie thing that you mentioned, because yeah, it does feel like there's like three or four different movies in here. As I was watching it, I was trying to sort of pick out what the director was doing. There's nothing we can pick out. This movie was made uh, or was released rather in 1997, and the early to mid 90s were a golden age for erotic thrillers. Oh. Erotic throws were a huge thing. It kind of got going in the 80s. And there were a few really notable, really famous ones. Um, but then, like, in the 90s, it became, like, a full-on genre. Sorry, we're having rabbit issues. Um, it became, yeah, like, a full-on genre in, like, the early 90s where there was... Yeah, companies were producing a new, you know, basic instinct rip-off movie every couple of months. So there was a lot of that in this. Uh, there was a lot of uh, that kind of um, atmosphere being put in there. Um, and the one that I thought of the most, actually, uh, was n- the 1981 movie Possession with Sam Neill, who I think is quite comparable to Jeremy Irons in a lot of ways. I felt there was a lot of like Possession where it was... it. A lot of it felt really, really normal, and then suddenly there would be these moments of just absolute bizarreness. Ah, oh, what's the rabbit doing? I don't know. What's he, he doing? I think he's in the entrance. Okay, he's no, he's just pooping now. Uh, All right. Well, pooping pooping rabbits are a good thing here. Yes, we would do with the rabbit to poop. Um, <laughs> so. But yeah, but then also, like you said, there is so much attention to detail and the texture. Um, like there's there's a quick shot of the inside of the glove compartment in the in their car as they're having their cross country road trip, and there are a couple of little pieces of gum stuck to the inside of the the. It's a it's a like a five second shot, um, but like the texture is there. The house where she's living at the end of the movie. Um, Everything is beautiful. That's and that's basically so what what had me keep on keep my eyes open until the end. Because I do like like uh, appositely like if it's a st- a good storyline, a movie with a good storyline, but the graphics are horrible and the actor can't render any kind of acting. I can't watch. Yeah. Whereas this movie was painful to watch, but I could focus on. Wow, the like the clothes she's wearing are beautiful. Like I could just like try to get my head on looking at that instead of like thinking <laughs> about how disgusting this movie was. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of that um, was because there's an earlier film adaptation of Lolita by Stanley Kubrick, um, who is notoriously uh, anal retentive about detail, um, sometimes in my opinion, to the detriment of the film, mm-hmm. um, because he tends to fall in love with those details so much that we stop getting the story. This is a personal bias, and this is one another thing I really hate with this movie. <sighs> Tell the story, stupid. 
Like, if you're going to make a movie, if you're going to write a book, just know what story you're going to tell and get on with telling it. We did not need... I mean, I, I love these sort of like grand pastoral shots of the American House? countryside. Well, I mean, there's like the de- like the big white desert. Like too many million shots of just them in a car. So many of those shots. And it's like, we get it. He's creepy. Get on with it. Um, but I think I think that sort of obsession with detail that is very clearly in there. I think that was the director trying to keep the same Kubrick. style. Yeah. Kubrick his way out. Yeah, to, to try to, under, like... over. <laughs> well, because I think... I mean, obviously, he knew he was going to get compared to the previous Kubrick movie. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is 1997. Kubrick's a legend. Um, he's not just, like, a really good, like, director at the time. He is this legendary, you know, kind of director in 1997. So I think he knew that he was going to get compared. And so he tried to do what Kubrick does while doing his own thing at the same time. Um, uh, which resulted in a big failure. And it, oh yeah, it was just, yeah, it's just a. So that one kind of deserves plotting. not having. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people intentionally didn't watch this, um, and they they spared themselves a lot of trouble. The budget for the movie uh, was sixty million. Oh gee. Uh, it the box office gross was one point one million. <laughs> uh, yeah, this sucker tanked hard. Um, yeah. It sucks because the actors were good. You know, like you're thinking of like, oh, those people worked so hard for the movie and it's shitty, but it's not Mm -hmm. their fault. So like, watch this movie like you read a piece, you know, when you have to do it for English class. Yeah, this is it's it's a good crib notes. If you if if you need to like catch up on your reading for Lolita, go ahead and for this one, it'll get you most of the major details Mm -hmm. in detail. So yeah, all right. So yeah, I guess we're doing ratings now. Um, I'm gonna give this one five train wrecks for each of the film genres that it tried to encompass. Well, I'm gonna give it three, not two point five, three lifetime, three jail lifetime, lifetime in jail, three consecutive lifetime sentences in jail. I want to say Prison. that. Prison. <laughs> Everything else that you can say. No. So, three consecutive lifetime sentences for the lifetime sentence I had to go through watching this movie. Mm-hmm. One for each hour. Yeah. One for each single long hour Ew. of the movie. So long. So long. Okay. Ah, uh, all right. So we're gonna go watch some cartoons. Um, eat candy, chocolate, and just like roll in the blanket and and never talk to people who <laughs> for for four days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or talk to too many people and just yeah. trying to forget everything. Yeesh. Okay. So yeah. So we're gonna watch some. Oh, uh, we're gonna get out of here. So thank you for listening. Um, and you're welcome. Now you can avoid this movie. <laughs> yeah. I hope you appreciate what we're doing for you. <laughs> oh, gracious. Okay. So thank you for listening to Floppy Bombs. Uh, please subscribe on iTunes or whichever place it is that you listen to this. Uh, please leave a review, especially on iTunes. Go ahead and tell me that Kubrick's a genius. 
That's fine too. All right, so we'll see you next time here on Floppy Bombs. August, what are you doing? August wants to say bye. Say bye to the people, August. He said it, you just didn't hear it. It's true. All right, bye bye. Bye. What I heard then was the melody of children at play, nothing but that. And I knew that the hopelessly poignant thing was not Lolita's absence from my side, but the absence of her voice from that chorus.